Great. I am excited to have for our 2022 Municipal Election Series, Mark Marison on the Coastal Front. He is our first guest at looking at who is wanting to run as Mayor of Vancouver this fall. Known as a public affairs strategist and entrepreneur who founded Burrard Strategy in 1998, Mark started his career in Ottawa as the National Youth Director of the Liberal Party of Canada. Over the years, Mark has worked with several family names, including the Honorable David Anderson, Paul Martin, one of my favorite prime ministers, and the Honorable Stephen Dion. Safe to say, Mark knows a little bit about politics. Some of Mark's achievements include delivering on major transit investments, such as the Canada Line, the Millennial Line, and the Evergreen Line, effectively waging a campaign for West Coast Express to reduce the CPR track rates, helping Vancouver Airport achieve rent equity with the Montreal and Toronto airports, saving up to $1 billion over 40 years, and successfully reversing planned cuts of up to 85% in funding for grassroots arts communities. With this much experience, it's no wonder Mark has created a bit of a reputation for himself with nicknames like West Coast Power Player, and he even landed himself as one of five of British Columbia's worth-watching list, according to the Vancouver Sun. On today's show, we'll ask the obvious question, why do you want to become mayor of Vancouver and explore key topics impacting our city today? Thanks for being on the show, Mark. Well, thank you. Well, you asked me why I want to run for mayor of Vancouver, why I am running for mayor of Vancouver. It's because I see that we're at a very significant point in our history, especially when it comes to the housing crisis. And I got heavily involved last election. I kind of drank from a fire hose about these issues around, around housing and saw that um, we've got a city hall that's paralyzed when it comes to dealing with this issue because it's, uh, it, we, we basically have to adapt ourselves to the new realities of what's happening in the world around us. Okay. Well, that's a good intro. So for those listeners, just to give a, a, a sort of a layout of what we're going to go over here, we're going to mark about five minutes to talk about himself, his background, why he sees himself as being mayor, what caused you to get there and, and talk about your party, Progress Vancouver. Then we're going to go into some uh, issues around City Hall. And we're going to talk about um, housing development and getting into uh, hot issues such as the overdose crisis, doing business in Vancouver. And then finally, we're going to finish off with our round of what we call our real citizen concerns. It'll be a little bit faster paced, talking about a variety of topics that are, are near and dear to hearts of many Vancouverites. So let's start, uh, Mark, with you wanting to become mayor. Talk us through the moment that kind of came to fruition. Was it an, an, sort of an overnight event or was it over a period of months? And what kind of got you to the point of solidifying the decision to, to run for mayor? Um, well, one of the things is, is that I've worked in politics my whole life um, and I've helped people get elected and I've, I was married to a politician and um, so I've been, been in political life my whole life. But the one thing I never had the guts to do before was to go and run myself. Um, and that's where you, that's where the account, the true accountability is in politics. And I love uh, campaigning and I love talking to, you know, voters and uh, strangers on the street um, and getting that opportunity is, a, is a, it may, might make me a little bit strange, but I, I, I really do. Um, what I was, what I normally would do when I was, when I'd be seeing an election campaign like this coming up is I'd go out there and try to recruit somebody to run. And then I realized, you know, I've recruited a lot of people to run for office before. And you agree with half the things they do, or maybe even three quarters of the things they, they do, but you're not the one that's putting the, the name on the line. Um, and I now am putting my name on the line. And, and I, I just think that that's, a, that's probably the best way that I can contribute. 
Uh, and, I, and I think that I could do a very good job. And when did that moment come to you? Like, when did you did? Was there was there a conversation with you and your your yes. network, your family, uh, yes. your friends? Yes. Or? No. It was actually watching Kennedy Stewart, okay. our, our current mayor. Um, uh, originally, when he was talking about this making homes proposal uh, about two, two a little over two years ago, where I saw that Lisa Dominato, which was one of the councillors, was uh, putting forward some some ideas about how to get creative with housing. And he punted the whole thing by coming up with a bunch of amendments and the whole thing was defeated. Um, and then he put out a fundraising appeal the next day asking for money because he'd lost this vote. And I said to myself, I've got to run. Okay. I can't be supporting this guy. Okay. Wow. That's a good insight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you make that decision about two years ago after listening to I this. I can't remember exactly where that was, but there. Yeah, somewhere around there. And, and, and so now here we are, it's, it's uh, end of April, 2022. Yep. And you've got a party called Progress Vancouver. Yes. Um, fill us in a little bit on that party and will okay. you be running a full slate? The, um, the During the last election, um, at, about 100 days before the election, a new political party was created um, called Yes Vancouver. And it was, a, I think it's the first political party in Canada, maybe even, I don't know, the world, I don't know, um, municipally, that was dedicated to uh, a, a pro-housing agenda where we need to build more housing. Because traditionally, um, uh, municipal politicians have been very afraid of being pro-building uh, of housing. They've been usually catered to the NIMBYs. Um, but we we got into a situation where things were, were are quite different than they used to be. Um, and uh, the candidate that ran for Yes Vancouver last time, um, he was he was going to run for the NPA. And there's a whole big fight internally. Um, that party was created 100 days before the election. It got 5% of the vote, but it definitely um, got some ideas out there and, and, and got a good platform out there. Since then, a lot more work has been done. And it was clear that calling it Yes Vancouver wasn't going to really work because some people, some voters got confused and thought maybe this was a referendum campaign or something. We had to vote yes or no okay. on. And so progress, a bit of a branding issue. Maybe. So we, so we rebranded it to Bro Pro progress Vancouver Okay, and um, very deliberately uh, called progress uh, rather than progressive because by calling it progress, it's about the delivering on the progress that we need to make rather than um, trying to, trying to judge whether or not somebody is deemed progressive or not. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. And, and who was the candidate that ran under? That was, that was Hector Bremner last time. Hector, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so fill us in a little more about progress Vancouver then. Do you, do you, are you planning to have a full slate? Is it yes. just you running as mayor? Uh, we Canada? are, we are planning on running a, a team. We will be, uh, we will be choosing that team a little later this year. We I know that all the other parties are doing it earlier. What we really want to see is who's emerging that's running from the various parties because there's there there may be some people that we would like to work with. Um, and we've got to work across uh, partisan lines in order to get things accomplished. If if we start dividing up the vote to to a point where um where 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 we we get people that we don't want elected because of it, that's not such a good idea. So. Okay. Kind of leads to an analogy of vote splitting, it sounds like. Right. Okay. Do you believe in vote splitting? Do you believe that's a well, real thing? Um, I, I, it's a tough one, especially when you're talking about such low voter turnout as you get in a municipal election. Um, because the um, if you work very hard to deliver a vote that may not have voted in the past, it's easier to do that with such a low voter turnout that if you if you just focus on who's already voting you're not going to get that far. You've got to find new voters to, right. to, to join you. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it seems like a lot of successful municipal election campaigns come down to just getting people out and voting on your behalf. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I think the last election was uh, between the two mayors, uh, the two the, between Kennedy Stewart and Ken Sim, was like decided by less than a thousand votes. Yes, it was in a city of like a million, almost a million people. Yeah, and only about a third of the people voted. Yeah, incredible. Do you think we'll get better numbers this October? I hope so. I mean, yeah. I'm going to be working hard at it. Yeah, okay. um, but it's it's a challenge, and yeah. it's very important. People need to know that this is a this is going to be a very important election. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's let's spend some time talking about City Hall. I know it's important to you. It sure is important to me. I want to start with working together. It's it's to me, it's clear that the current city council and mayor are very dysfunctional. They just cannot seem to work together. I don't know if you have the same yeah, opinion I, or not. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think part of the problem is, is that it, it, I, I put a lot of the blame at the, at the foot of the mayor. Um, the, the mayor's power is de derived from the pulpit, basically just the ability to, like he has some budget and some staff and that sort of thing. And his, his or her ability to deliver a majority on city council to, for change. And he, he has, instead of trying to reach across the divide and bring people together around various issues, he's been a very divisive mayor. Um, he's been campaigning for the last two years um, uh, 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 and, and trying to find a way to really paint his opponents as some kind of evil people. Um, and that's not usually the way uh, municipal politics is supposed to work. Um, a mayor isn't the same thing as a backbench member of parliament from, from a third party. Um, <laughs> you, you're supposed to ditch some of that partisanship and just work on getting things done. Right. And he, he hasn't ditched that at all. Right. Okay. Okay. That's a good point. Um, you used the word before when we spoke before, Philman, about paralysis within City Hall. Um, do you see this as being one of the biggest problems within City Hall? It is a huge problem. When we see the, the, how long it takes to get things permitted, how, how long it takes to approve things, the fact that we are actually wasting uh, city councillors' time on um, on building housing right at transit stations, for example, like we got to get on with what we have to get done here. What do you mean by that specifically? Well, there's this one one project that's uh, on the books right now at Bro on Broadway. I think it's yeah. 1447 Broadway. Um, the Broadway plan was uh, was basically approved in what the idea at least was 2018. This project started in 2019. There was a bunch of hearings for the past month, four different day, four, four days of hearings. They're still not over yet um, to approve a, a, a residential building with a with the grocery store where a transit station is. Well, of course we should have. Um, density near transit stations or what's the point in building all of these things right okay all right yeah. that, that makes it clear then thank you yes okay so mark when it comes to this paralysis within city hall is it just within city council and mayor or does it expand into the uh sort of the culture of the city staff and the city and and where people are working well part of it is i think inertia because of the fact that there's been so many as we keep on piling on new rules and new things that are required it just becomes kind of a life of its own um and it and it becomes more challenging whenever somebody wants to get something approved by by city hall but to expect um, the bureaucrats at City Hall to fix that is, is it doesn't, it's not the way it normally works. It requires leadership from the top. And the mayor um, doesn't appear to be providing that kind of leadership. And uh, that's, what, that's what we need to do. Okay, so your, your view is that in order to improve the efficiency or speed up this development process, and we're kind of going to get into that in a minute, but it sounds like you believe that in order to deal with the bureaucracy and red tape that's going on in City Hall, 
it's got to come from the mayor's office. Yeah, I think it does. And the mayor yeah. has to demonstrate that, he, that he's, he or she has got counsel working with them. Okay. Um, and that's their, it's, it's a very important job for the mayor to be able to, 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 to get the majority of counsel working with them. You can't blame the council for not, like, I, I think it was Bill Vanderzam that at one point said, I don't have a problem of leadership. I have a problem of followership. Well, <laughs> the definition of leadership is that you, is that you get people to be able to work with you. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I don't think this is maybe a big topic right now, but are you in favor of the idea of amalgamation of municipalities? I, I think that there's definitely ways that we can work together to um, find efficiencies, but I, I don't think I would support amalgamation at this time. I don't think it would be in Vancouver's interest. And I, and I really do think Vancouver itself needs to reassert its uh, leadership in the region. And we've lost our role as a leader in the region probably over the past 10 or 15 years. Um, and uh, and we've got to re reestablish that. Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, I'm going to make a comment and we'll feed, lead in some questions. So in 2021, the mayor and city council, which is 11 people, were paid just over a million dollars in compensation, $1.2 million to be exact. By contrast, if you take the top 10 paid staff at City Hall combined, they make $3 million a year. So you're roughly speaking about a three times, you know, for every dollar we pay to our city council and mayor, the top 10 people at City Hall get three times as much money in income. And on top of that, so most of them are earning in the $300,000 range of, of income. And on top of that, they get this phenomenal government pension. No pension whatsoever. If you do become mayor, just keep in mind yeah, as no, a financial I'm aware. advisor, <laughs> I'm aware. there will be no pension. <laughs> um, it seems to me that city staff appear to be having these sort of overreaching um, authority uh, I, my observation is they often refuse to provide city councillors and mayor with you know, pertinent data that they're asking for, and they seem to act on issues that they only deem are important. Um, there seems to be almost no accountability to the public within the sort of high-ranking staff within City Hall. This is my view. What is your view of the role of, city, of the city manager and staff? Well, the thing to remember is that... Um the mayors in the United States are essentially like at the same time, almost like a city manager. They, they can unilaterally hire and fire people and that sort of thing. The mayor can't do that um, uh, in Canada. Um, and so, again, as I was talking about earlier, the mayor's power really derives from much more like soft power, being able to demonstrate that they can deliver the council and that they can um, that they, they, they speak um, eloquently for the for the city. Um, <clears throat> If, if I do become mayor, I would be holding uh, these folks very accountable. Um, but to suggest that they should be paid less, I don't know. I'd have to think about that because... Um, uh, no, I'm not actually suggesting I, they should I, I don't, be paid think, less. That's yes, not what I'm okay, suggesting. Okay. What I'm saying is to just give the listeners a contrast. Like everybody thinks that the politicians are paid all this money. Right. And in reality, if you take the top 10 people at City yeah. Hall, the, they're not the mayor and council that are no. highest paid. Yeah. In fact, there's something close to... Uh, I think almost a hundred people that work at city hall, they get yep. paid more than the mayor and city council. Yes. Um, and don't work nearly the hours that the city council and mayor work. And so what I'm saying, and, and I think to attract good talent, you need to pay well. Um, I think these people at $300,000 a year, I think these people are paying very well, being paid very well. My question is, are they, how do we make them more accountable? You just said a minute ago, you will make them accountable. How do you do that? Especially considering you're also point, pointed out the fact that I believe the only person you can hire and fire is the city manager. Yeah. I think everybody else kind of falls under that city manager and it's made yeah. internally. So 
the question isn't about paying them less. It's more about for what we're paying these people, how do we get more out of them? Well, I think it's just building really strong relationships with everybody that you work with. If it's any kind of organization that, and, and if it's not working, you find new people. <laughs> Essentially, okay. right? On that note, Paul Mokri is the city manager. It's very custom that a lot of times when a new mayor comes in, they often fire the city manager and hire someone that they think is going to be more aligned with their views and principles. Would you fire Paul Mokri? I, 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 that's a hypothetical question that I just couldn't address right now. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's jump to uh, mayor expenses, okay? Kennedy Stewart spent nearly $800,000 last year on discretionary expenses. Nearly all of this was to pay for his own internal political staff. Just to be clear, um, these people were paid to be able to help him with his campaign. And he gets this every year, not just the first year. And he's not the first one. Uh, Mayor Gregor Robertson was one who I believe brought this into City Hall in the first place. But $800,000 a year of discretionary spending by the mayor. Contrast that with the 10 city councillors who combined spending of a discretionary spending was less than $100,000. Do you believe local taxpayers should be fronting the bill for an incumbent mayor's political campaign? No, but I do think that having um, staff for uh, the mayor and for the councillors is important, especially if you do wanna have accountability with the rest of um, the city hall because you, you, you need that, that heft in order to get things done. Um, the way that he's spending that money, I, I would spend it differently and it wouldn't be spent on getting reelected. It would be spent on making sure that we can deliver on the things that we talked about in the election campaign. Okay. And Mark, just to be clear, there is paid city staff that work for him as well, but this is discretionary. And yep. those people, it was about $600,000, I think, when we ran the FOI on that, is just for political staff. See, I would like to, if, if, I, if I was spending that $600,000, I'd be wanting to spend it very strategically to make sure that the things that we're talking about get done. Okay. All right. Good answer. Um, my question, next question, follow up to that, would you reduce or eliminate this discretionary spending item? I, I, I don't think I would, no. Okay, you'd keep it? Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's jump now to housing and development. And I know this yep. is an important issue for you, as you yep. highlighted earlier. Um, every politician seems to know how to fix this housing crisis. <laughs> you got a smile on your face, so yep. I'm sure you do too. Um, if only given the chance, they're going to fix this. So my first question is, how is your approach going to be different than what we've seen from previous mayors? Well, um, from previous mayors, the, like basically ever since uh, we brought in zoning, which was in the late 1920s, uh, about three quarters of the land base in our city has been reserved for, for um, one, kind of, one kind of home. And we've, we've tinkered around the edges around that a bit by allowing laneway homes and, um, and uh, basement suites and, and that sort of thing. But still on that same amount of land, uh, townhouses and apartment buildings are, are still illegal. Um, and they're still illegal today when housing prices are astronomically higher than they were only, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Um, and so what do you mean by illegal? Well, you have to, I mean, illegal is a strong word, but yeah. you, you, you have to go to council in order to change. You have to get. Oh, I see. So what you're saying you've got a, you've got a neighborhood with a bunch of single family homes. You can't just you know, assembly lot, get an assembly of the lots and then just convert them. You have to rezone and go through that whole process. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And, that, and this wasn't the case prior to the 1929, right? Okay. Um, they brought, they brought in um, this kind of zoning because um, it was a lot to do with the automobile. Um, but um, basically 
it was to try to divide all the people. They figured anybody that's living in apartments back then were the kind of the rabble and they wanted to keep the rabble out of the neighborhoods. Okay. And, that, and of course, that's not the case anymore. People that are living in apartment buildings in Vancouver still um, can be <laughs> in the top 5% of incomes in the country. So. Okay. So going back to my question about how your approach is going to be different than previous mayors, what specifically would you be doing? Well, I, I would be, right now we've got the Vancouver plan discussion that's happening right now, which is basically a plan to make a plan. So they started this thing in, um, three years ago, and um, there's a lot of public input that's going into this right now. There's a lot of good ideas there, but it's going to take another couple of years before um, anything even comes of all of this. I would focus on some actual, real, achievable things that we can do and get going on them right away okay like for example we need uh, family-friendly housing around schools like right now what's family-friendly i would housing? say mixed mixed use housing okay. uh, basically um housing that um a young family without rich parents can afford and not all young families without rich parents could even afford um that kind of housing here in vancouver but we've got to we've got to get working on, on on this because otherwise you've got basically people having to drive in to like you just have a huge lineup of cars at all the schools and that's that's silly we should be providing more opportunities for kids to be able to walk to school too yeah sure yeah absolutely did you walk to school i did so it was a 45 I... minute walk each way it started <laughs> uphill. one <laughs> uphill Not, well, part of it was uphill but yeah no i, I, I walked it was yeah. fine yeah <laughs> do you believe the biggest issue related to affordable housing is that demand has outpaced supply? That's a, that is one big factor, and of course, one of the the, the other. I mean, the other factors that, um, of course, the city has the city or the mayor has no control over is interest rates, immigration rates, and all that that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so, so these things all combine to have created quite a profound crisis. What we can do at, at the municipal level is just be able to allow for more diversity of housing types. Um, and that means changing the way that we, way, way, it means land use reform. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, I'm going to make a, a reference to a comment and then I'd like to get your opinion. Um, now we've, we've talked with many prominent developers here at Coastal Front, uh, sort of off camera as we've interviewed councillors over the years. And the feedback we constantly get is that the building cost in Vancouver is um, prohibitively or exceptionally high. In fact, many of the big ones I know, the big developers, and I won't name them, but they, they actually see this as almost an advantage for them because they've seen the small developers leave the market. They're going to Burnaby, they're going to Richmond, they're going to North Vancouver. And what's left are the big operators who have the deep pockets that can afford yeah. to maintain. And what they've said is it's not just the cost of land. That's an obvious one. Everybody's on the same playing field there, but it's the amount of red tape that they have to deal with. It's not, yeah, it's not just red tape. It's also... Um, the way that community amenity contributions work in Vancouver, every single one of them is, an, is, is, a, is a separate negotiation. Yeah, you're absolutely which, correct. Which provides for a lot of opportunities for delay and a lot of opportunities for uh, horse trading that nobody gets to see. Um, so one of the things I'm working on right now, and we haven't completed this work yet, but yeah. I've been talking to other mayors and, and other jurisdictions about finding a way to make that system be a lot more straightforward. And there's just some, some, some set rates for what you get. Um, and that way, everybody's on the same level playing field. Okay, that seems like a pretty logical approach. Yeah. Um, David Eby, Minister David Eby, who's uh, Attorney General and Minister of Housing, has proposed that municipal governments should no longer be in charge of permitting the permitting process uh, due to this massive delays in red tape. And this should just be something that the pro pro provincial government uh, takes over. What's your view on that? 
Um, I'm not sure that the um, provincial government needs to take that over, but I do see this as a very interesting indictment of his fellow New Democrat, who's the mayor here, um, which means that he must be pretty dissatisfied with what Kennedy Stewart's doing. That's a good point. <laughs> okay, so Mark, just to finish off around the, 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 the world of housing and development, uh, the Broadway plan in theory, it offers a great opportunity uh, on ways in which Vancouver can do development, but there's a real challenge here of balancing, displacing existing people who are living in and maybe low rise apartment buildings that are 40, 50 years old to replace those with much larger high rises that can in theory, uh, you know, house a lot more people, but those who were living in that area are displaced because maybe they can't afford the rents once the new properties are, are completed. So how do you balance those two? I think there's a couple of ways. One of the things is to remember is that on, uh, as we were talking about earlier, on most of the land, residential land in Vancouver, um, you can't build apartment buildings. So then the, the, the amount of competition for that, that small amount of land where you can build, build apartment buildings means that they start cannibalizing each other. Right. Um, so if we can expand the, uh, the areas where you can build apartment buildings, that would actually help a lot with this displacement issue. Um, the other thing is to just look at best practices in other cities where um, th there's been, um, at certain points, uh, moratorium on, on displacement, um, finding ways to make sure that people are uh, assisted if they do need to, to, to move, um, and to really demand um, a, a good chunk of affordable housing in these in, within these projects. Okay. Okay, great. I'd like to switch now to a few other hot topics that a lot of people in Vancouver, uh, it's near and dear to their hearts. The first one being on overdose, the overdose crisis. In 2021, that year alone, we saw almost 2,300 deaths through illicit drug use. That's over six people a day by any account, far higher than whatever COVID caused. So my first question for you, Mark, is why are we not treating this overdose crisis with the same level of energy and resources that we did with the COVID-19 pandemic? This is my question, actually, <laughs> that, I, that I've been asking. And, um, and I think that we need to treat it with the same um, kind of urgency and, uh, and seriousness. Um, and, it's, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better um, anytime soon. Um, so we, we do need to spend a lot of time on this. And, and it's, of course, a matter for the other levels of government as well. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a, it's, it should be a much bigger priority. Okay. Do you believe in safe supply of drugs? Yes, I do. Um, I believe that we, uh, we, we need safe supply and we do need to decriminalize as well. I don't believe that, that uh, mentally challenged people should be criminalized. Um, and I do believe that we need to save, save lives. Um, but one of the big things that we need to do is we need to make sure that people, when they want to get the treatment and want to be able to get off of drugs, that there's somebody there immediately to be able to help them. And, th and that's not the case uh, for a lot of people. Okay. Where do you draw the line on safe to safe supply? What do you mean? Uh, what I mean is um, you've got uh, city councilor um, Jean Swanson. Um, she was basically out help, helping provide uh, local residents in the downtown east side with heroin that was purchased through the dark web. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's an, I don't think that's an appropriate thing for an elected official to be doing. Okay. And this work should be done um, by professionals and through through our health authorities and through, through our health system. Okay. So as far as as long as the health authority and the health system is supplying it. As far as the drug type itself, you're okay with whatever the supply well, may I, be? I, we do need to approach this from a facts and evidence uh, approach. 
Um, I mean, we'd love it if everybody could uh, be off drugs tomorrow. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. Not and, and, and yeah. we and we do need to we do need to save lives. And one of the first ways of saving lives is making sure that they're not people don't get poisoned. Right. And that's what it is a poison. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. Good terminology. Uh, switching to Granville Strip, which is, I know, an important uh, thing for you. You've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, and you've been very big vote. So what's your vision for the Granville Strip? What do well, you see there? For well, one us? of the things um, that we've been uh, noticing is that there's been a, a big uptick in crime downtown. Not in the rest of the city so much, but downtown there's been a lot of problems. Part of it's due to the pandemic, but 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 uh, um, the other part of it is just um, there's not as many eyes on the street and there's not as many people coming downtown even now. Um, so what my philosophy is that, a, is, a, is that a thriving downtown is a safer downtown. And one of the things to make it more thriving is to uh, spend some energy on a much better nightlife in the city. And, and I'm not talking about this for just for people's, uh, I'm talking about this from an economic point of view and from a cultural point of view. So one of the, one of the things that I'll be doing is I'll be creating a commissioner of the nighttime economy and culture that would be elected by all of the stakeholders <clears throat> in the night, so to speak. So like it would be the residence associations, the business improvement associations, the symphony, just basically everybody involved in the night. And that person's first task will be to figure out how to clean up Granville Street and turn it into a uh, destination entertainment area for the lower mainland. And part of it be covered. Um, like what we, what you see at the shipyards in North Van. Okay. Um, and also no more need for housing either, either at the high end or at the low end on Granville street, because it shouldn't, we shouldn't be distracted by people being upset about the noise and everything else that comes along with an entertainment district. Um, we want to make it very family oriented. And so it's not just about nightclubs. It's about a, a good, a good mix of things that, that would be going on there, but we really need to revamp Granville street right now. It's, 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 it's not, it's, it's not working for Vancouver. Yeah. Okay. Makes me think of sometimes the scenes from Gotham city. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Doing business in Vancouver. How can entrepreneurs and business owners relate to you and have the confidence that you know what their issues are and what, uh, they're talking about. Well, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've always had, I've had to meet payrolls. I've, uh, I, I've, I've only ever been on a salary, maybe um, for about five or 10% of my lifetime. So I can, I can definitely relate to them in that way. I've co-founded about, co-founded two companies and been on the board of a couple of others. And, um, and, and I run my, run Bride Strategy since 1998. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. Okay. Fair enough. How many people would you employ at Burrard Strategies? We just have three, yeah. but we um, we have a whole bunch of different subcontractors that do all kinds of different things. Lots of work for you guys. Okay. Yeah. Uh, switching to this, the tech sector, Vancouver has uh, has some hugely successful tech startups, including Hootsuite, Slack, and Traction on Demand, a company I worked with. They recently sold themselves to, to Salesforce, uh, almost 1,400 employees. Um this has all happened despite the lack of support by local government. Um, politicians tell us that they want to support the tech sector. Um, my question to you is specifically, how would you support the tech sector in Vancouver? Well, one of the ways is to make sure that there's housing available for the kinds of people that they want to attract to work for them. Um, and that's a unique set of people um, that we, that we need to, we need to attract. And a lot of, a lot of these folks, I, I don't think are going to be, um, too excited about having to commute an hour, an hour into the city. So that would be one of the things that we would do. Okay, great. Okay. We are going to now switch to what we're describing as our, our real citizen concerns. 
These are meant to be a series of fairly quick questions, yes, notes type questions. Uh, if you need to provide a bit more context, feel free to do so, sure. Mark. But we're going to get through probably about, looks like about 15 of these pretty okay, quick. Sure. Okay. Um, and they're all kind of in various, they're not totally structured order, but let's, let's go. So first one, climate change, homelessness, poverty, and other global social issues seem to consume a lot of time by council and takes a lot of their energy. Will you commit to refocusing on issues that are truly civic, like road maintenance, wastewater treatment, and aging community centers? Well, that's a that's a very interesting question because it's not an either or. The, where are their priorities on climate and poverty, and what was the other issue? Uh, uh, just generally global social issues. Because. Um, our, the, the way that we use our land has a very big impact on climate. And one of the things I'm talking a lot about is stopping the suburbanification of the lower mainland and that I want to reclaim people back to Vancouver, not have everybody have to move an hour or two out in search of affordability. That is a climate change issue and that is definitely in the municipal wheelhouse. And, and we don't hear enough about that from our from 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 the people that are on council that care about these issues. So um I would, I would say, yes, of course, we have to work within the jurisdiction, but there is a jurisdiction that we should be focusing on um, within the municipal Okay. Area. And that's Vancouver. Yes. Okay. Um, public safety. Yes. Is it a real issue or a perceived issue here in Vancouver? It's, it's both. Um, it's a real issue downtown and it's a real issue, uh, especially for um, a, a lot of the um, broken windows that you've seen around downtown. Um, that's real. Um, but to suggest that somehow this can all just be solved by um, a little bit of extra policing, I don't think is true. I think that a thriving downtown is a safer downtown, and I'll be doing everything I can to help make sure that our downtown is a much more thriving place for, for everybody, okay. especially families. Okay, great. You mentioned policing, Vancouver Police Department. Is it properly funded today? I think it's about, it's about right. Um, uh, I do find it... Um, I understand why it works the way that it does, but it is strange that the Vancouver City Council doesn't have full control over the budget of the Vancouver police. But um, I do understand the background of all that. Okay. Also continuing with the Vancouver Police Department, not on funding, but on sort of social issues, how would you grade them as far as their inclusiveness, bearing in mind uh, issues like race, gender, and culture? Well, there are a lot of challenges that they have to they have to address, um, and we are in a very multicultural uh, city, and we have to always be vigilant to make sure that um, we treat everybody with equal dignity. Um, and I think I think the police are working very hard in that regard, but but there's always examples where they fall short, and I, I think they just have to be really vigilant. If you had to give them a grade, what grade would you give them? I don't want to give them a grade. I think okay. I'll I, I think I'll wait and see if I if I, if I'm elected and I'm the chair of the police board, um, perhaps at some point they'll get some kind okay. of a grade. <laughs> um, okay, we I, I already asked you the safe supply question. Um, let's jump to taxes, Mark. Yeah. Residential property tax. Would you increase it, decrease it, or leave it where it is? Well, it. It really depends on where the where the, how much value of houses gets to, uh, but I would uh, I, I do support the idea of, of examining some progressive options for at the at the high end. Like if it's a house that's ten million dollars or more, I, I'm sure that people can contribute a bit more to the to the city's finances. Everyone else, I think that they that that that, that we've we've got to hold the line as much as we can. Okay, so you wouldn't increase it necessarily, but you're definitely not going to de decrease not it. Not going to decrease it. Uh, uh, and 
definitely look at some progressive options around how we do this. Okay. Kind of fits with progress, Vancouver. <laughs> yes. Empty homes tax. It's proposed by the current mayor to increase it to 5%. Would you increase it to 5%, keep it the same, or get rid of it? If, it, if it's truly an empty home, um, and I think that there's some examples where um, people, it's, it's not really an empty home in the way that they're talking about. So I think we have to get more clearly into the definition of what that is, and, 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 uh, and, then, I, and then I support it. But I do know that there are people that are captured by this that shouldn't be captured by it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I have a, a, a family friend of ours who's, uh, they've uh, artificially, in a sense, had to rent out their place because it's taking them so long to get a permit approval to build their home. And, and so they've had to rent it out. And now they've got this problem that when they want to finally get the renter out, how do they get them out? Um, so it's a, and they're, they're a local tax paying family yeah. just want to build a house. Yeah. How would you save money for local taxpayers? I, I think that, I think what, there needs to be the minute that um, the new mayor and council gets in is just to do a full review on on on, on expenditures and 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 how we're taxing and what we're doing, and 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 until we do that, it's 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 pretty tough to say. Okay, Vancouver's had this what I call twenty five cent cup fiasco. Yes, the cup fee, which to me is a massive cash grab for the big three coffee makers, which are Starbucks, Tim Hortons, and McDonald's. That's my view. Would you keep it or scrap it? I'd like to find a way to make it go into the right coffers so that it actually does something about this issue. I think that would be great. And, and in the meantime, I try to get my coffee um, as much as possible. Uh, I, I have it in the rest, in, in the Starbucks, in the, in the real mug. Yeah. It saves myself in, 25 cents. <laughs> good for you. Okay. Uh, this new outdoor patio license platform that's been proposed. Do you feel it's too costly running around six to six thousand to twenty thousand dollars just for approval, or is it fair? Well, there seems to be costs like this for everything. Um, when 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 people are trying to get through this whole permitting process just to build build um, housing, for example, it's, it's added tens of thousands of dollars to the cost of a condo. This sounds like the same thing with the patios. Um, the idea of getting more patios out there is, is, is fantastic. If these kinds of fees are going to prevent people from doing so, then, then we've kind of lost, lost the plot here. Okay, great. 2030 Olympics, do you support it or not? I do. I'm, I'm, I'm tentative about my support for it, just only in that we, I, I want to see exactly what um, we're going to be getting out of it as, as a legacy. And one of the most important legacies, of course, is, um, is, 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 is a legacy around housing. Okay. Last question on this is the Vancouver Elected Park Board. Would you keep the Elected Park Board in place? Or would you scrap it like some of your um, counterparts are proposing? I would keep it. Um, I think we have amongst some of the best parks in North America, and we happen to have a park board. Um, we just ought to make sure that we have a good park board. Okay. Okay, Mark. Um, I want to finish off this, uh, this interview by asking you to provide me with a positive comment about each of your competitors that are going to run for mayor. Okay. Because I find as someone who's not in politics as much as you've been, yeah. that it's often a very divisive, you've used that word earlier, yeah. and negative approach. So I would like you to, well, I'm gonna give you the names and I want you to make one positive comment about each of them, okay? Yeah. John Cooper, who's running under the NPA. Um, he's a very uh, friendly gentleman. 
Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I haven't met him yet, but we'll have yeah. him on. Colleen Hardwick. She's a very serious, hardworking person. Ken Sim. He's, he's got some business experience. Okay. And finally, Kennedy Stewart. Um, he's contributed. He's given a lot in public to public life. Okay, great. So, Mark, let's finish off. You got one minute to kind of talk to our audience about why they should um, uh, consider you as mayor and also your plug for anybody that might want to help out with your party or yourself. Sure. Um, basically, what I want to do, my, my objective is to reestablish Vancouver as the heartbeat socially, economically, culturally of the Lower Mainland. We've lost our position. We've, we are sliding backwards and we've been sliding backwards for some time. Under this current mayor, we slid backwards further. There hasn't been, um, as far as his four years as in office, they, they haven't moved practically any reforms um, very, very far. Um, we have to look to next mandate to see if there's any any movement on some of these things. We've just got to be a lot more urgent about what's going on here. Okay, great. Uh, Mark Marison, your party's called Progress Vancouver. Yes. Thank you for coming in and being our first guest on this election series. Wish you the best of luck. Thank you. And uh, we'll maybe we'll uh, be seeing you in October uh, with the awesome. mayor behind your name. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So Thank much. you very much, Mark.